1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, today, Helen and I are joined by Carolina Adamczyk from AdamChic, which is a design company working closely with de- developers. And I've probably messed up all the names there, so apologies, Carolina, forgot that wrong. But this is one of those uh, episodes that really shouldn't be missed. And why is that? Well, Carolina's infectious laugh, for one thing, as you'll pick up uh, a few times throughout the uh, conversation that we had. But on a more serious note, what I really enjoyed about this discussion was how Carolina managed to convert a hobby into a business. And especially how she managed to, uh, or manages rather, to merge design with the return on investment or the numbers, which you rarely hear in the same sentence, I can tell you. And she has plenty more to say, so let's hear from
0: her right now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter.
1: Here we are again. Uh, it's another uh, episode of the Property Voice podcast in the Women in Property series. And uh, Helen and I are on a call. i very pleased to be joined by Car- Carolina Adamchek. I might have got that wrong, Carolina. So perhaps you can correct us with your uh, correct, uh, proper pronunciation and, um, whilst you say hello and let us know how you're doing this morning.
2: Yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for an invite. Uh, so it's Karolina Adamczyk, and the name of my company is uh, Adam Schick. Ah. Just to confuse things a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. Um, but I, I thought you were helping me out, actually, with the name of your company as being the correct pronunciation of your surname. But actually, now I get it. It's obviously the Chic bit, uh, which is
2: a, a play on yeah. my surname.
1: Exactly, and gives uh, also a clue perhaps to the direction that you operate in, and um, quite keen to to understand that and how it fits into the, into the property sector generally. So. What I normally do at this point in the conversation is just ask if you wouldn't mind to to share a little bit of your background and the backstory, um, and we know your path in in properties may be slightly different to some of the other guests that we've spoken to. So perhaps you can just walk us through that and how you arrived to what you where you are today and what you do. Would that be okay?
2: Yeah, sure. I'd love that. Um, so a little bit about how I got here. Um, I. I actually had a completely different career until recently. So I've been uh, in banking mostly, uh, you know, having a really really nice career traveling around the world, living in many different countries and uh, meeting clients from everywhere. Um and I've done all the different things in banking. I'm I'm a sort of person that uh, loves to challenge myself, learn as much as possible and I ran out of uh, patients in about eight, uh, 18 months and then I want to move on and do something different and learn a new skill. Um, so what happened is uh, I've been in uh, you know, all the different lo- roles over the last 10 years. Uh, I do love business development. I really love talking to people and learning about how I can help them with their business. So it was really ideal, uh, interesting role for me uh, in the banking world. Um, so what happened is at the same time I also loved interior design and everywhere I went I, I tried to rent or buy the worst flat and make it into the nicest uh, and I really loved transforming spaces. Uh, so about three or four years ago I finally took a job which was uh, more uh, London based rather than um, airport based <laughs> which, <was, laughs> which was the case earlier in my career. And I thought this is an opportunity for me to turn my hobby, which I was doing in the background, into a full-time job. I started learning and I started going to networking events. And and obviously everyone always talks about full-time in property and how amazing that is. So I got the bug, and I started uh, doing my own projects in London, refurbishments of of flats you know, adding in the bedroom, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and initially did that with my own money. Then I found investors and we did a crowdfunding project. And and through doing that, I've learned many things that I shouldn't be doing. So that was great base <laughs> of making mistakes on my own <laughs> money and on my own uh, projects. Um, and I found... I found a large following, uh, on social media because I, I was just so excited to come out of the corporate world and finally do what I love doing, transform the spaces. So I kept on posting and uh, really interacting with everyone and showing them what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and found my first client that way. Yeah. So. In, initially, initially, you know, I would start with with doing some show homes, maybe specification, helping people transform layouts of of their properties. And from that, I thought, do you know, what I, I would love to do that professionally. Um, so really, what happened is in the last three years, I slept very little. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing my uh, I was doing my nine to five job, or more like ten till nine. Um, most of the week. And then in the evenings and weekends, I would jump on um, you know, my clients and uh, developing my business and doing interior design projects, uh, helping with other people's development projects, doing my own. And I slowly exited banking in a very um, sensible way. So I, I went down to three days, um, even though that was quite unheard of uh, where I was in in a um, head office of a major bank um, but they've allowed me to to do that uh, and that helped me get into the mode of you know what I, I actually that's exactly what I want to do and, and I found the courage and um, I think it's now a year exactly a year since I've completely exited.
1: Wow. <laughs> I mean, I just want to pick up on some of that. I mean, first of all, the transition and, you know, a lot of people, as you say, a lot of people get very, very excited about going full time in property. And you talked about some of the realities of that earlier, Uh, but equally then maybe how you had a more sensible migration. And, and of course, you're not, you know, full time in property, perhaps in the way that everybody at the networking meetings was thinking. You're, you're actually, you've actually migrated into turning your passion into a, into a business, haven't you?
2: Yes. Yes. Correct. And um, and it's and it's really amazing to do that. Um, the challenges with that is what uh, you've touched upon is kind of how do you do it sensibly? So you do need cash flow, uh, and this is why I stayed as long as possible in my banking job and was still had some income, even when I hired my first person. You know, it, I was still I, I gave notice like a month after I fired them, so they were. Working on their own for four months while I was at work and <laughs> kind of from underneath my desk texting them what I wanted <laughs> to do next. And it was really interesting because that gave me a, a feeling, a feel for what it is like to be a manager and also the sort of manager that is quite often not that present. Uh, because even today we have four people in the office plus myself. But I spent most of my days actually going to site, going to meetings, and we communicate a lot over, uh, you know, uh, tools like Slack. Um, and uh, it was an interesting transition where uh, having this income... Still, really helped uh, learning all the different things that you know that that it takes a couple of months to learn when you have a business, how to hire, how to manage people, you know how to uh, get the deals, how to create the pipeline, uh, etc. So, so yes, very slow transition.
3: It certainly sounds like um, you've uh, you've had quite a journey, and it sounds like you worked your socks off whilst you're combining um, your day job and uh, and your new business <laughs> yeah it's a but good it doesn't point.
2: feel like that uh, actually because once you do what you love to do it feels so liberating it's really like i'm i'm so grateful for being able to turn your passion into career
3: i completely agree with you there carolina <laughs> it, 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 i think it's um it's an old saying isn't it if you know if you kind of love your work you never feel like you're Working or something, and it is <laughs> true. It's true, it's
1: true. <laughs> I know that sort of that phrase. Yeah, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day uh, again.
3: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's how
2: I feel. Although sometimes I feel quite tired. <laughs> so because you well, don't don't have this boundary of where I, where I think oh I should stop now because that's work and I'm entering my private life that that boundary is not there. So you need to be very mindful and maybe have people around you that just say, hey, you have to stop. It's the weekend.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's definitely something Richard and I can uh, can relate to as uh, as self-employed people. Um, Perhaps it's a good point then to ask you maybe about the highs and lows so far and also any barriers and obstacles you might have encountered along your way.
2: Mm. I think the highs and lows, the biggest um challenge and learning is going from um a space where I was I had a job for ten years and and you know my, my first one of my one of my jobs was almost eight years. So or, or, or employment in the same company. So going from that space where you get paid every month to a space where you have to earn it. And it's all up to you to find, uh, find deals and, and, and really generate that cash flow. Um, and I think one thing that I underestimated, so I thought, you know, kind of a, what we provide is amazing. The services are great. People love us as a brand. People love to work with us. But I think I underestimated a little bit on what it's going to feel like um and i'm a sort of person who is always very certain and very driven and i just go for it uh but so i never uh really remember that a time in my life where i had uncertainty uh of, uh, of that kind of came from the emotional space but here suddenly when i uh, when I left banking, I had people relying on me, so I probably had um you know close to three people by the time i I left um uh, in April last year and um or was just about to to hire the others so so i I left to uh, kind of immediately a full pipeline, but still having that responsibility. It's almost like kids, you have to pay for their school, you know, you feel responsibility uh, for your employees. And and that was quite uncertain place initially, um, which I wasn't expecting. Um, And and it's really quite interesting because I spent my um, career doing business development, relationship management, you know, project management, product management, it's all kind of about how do you develop business? Uh, but um, I I always say that you know you cannot underestimate what it means to have your own uh, business because you come into a space where there isn't an established brand. You know some brands that I work work for were. were Banks like Lloyd's Banking Group, 250 years of of uh, of brand exposure, <laughs> while <laughs> if you go into in with a completely new name into the market. You know, you have to build it up from scratch. So even though I had a marketing toolkit or you know some project management toolkit, I kind of knew how to do those things. Uh, it's different to do it for a startup or from someone for someone that you know that is already in a market for many years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, the, the well, there's a couple of things you talked about there. First of all, was the whole softer side of it. So the passion into a career, um, you know, was, was definitely one element of that. And the the sort of uncertainty, the feeling feeling of uncertainty as you step out, I'm sure lots yeah. of people will be maybe on the brink. And, you know, they're, they're mm. perhaps at this crossover point of thinking, I have this passion or this, this desire. But do I step out of my comfort zone? And we've spoken to a few people, a few guests on the epi- on the series so far, who've maybe done what you've done, and indeed mm-hmm. what what you know, Helen and I have done as well. And we've made that step. And sometimes you you kind of feel like you're stepping off the edge of the. Um, cliff but there's no rope ladder there so you know you have to have faith so that was the sort of softer side of it but then there's the sort of harder side of it the real business development and marketing and branding and I'm sure there's other things like financing you know and when you work for a large corporate organization you've got people haven't you who do all that stuff yeah Uh, yeah you're doing it aren't you so um, how did you deal with with all of that all at once. Uh, I mean, obviously, one of the steps you took was to gradually migrate. But um, mm. I guess you were chief, you know, chief everything, weren't you, to begin with?
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I, I, the, the advantage that I have is that I only keep in my business the best of the best people. So we went through, you know, kind of many candidates and many people who came in and worked maybe with us for a couple of weeks. But for some reason, they weren't quite the right match. And then when I find the match, uh, you know, uh, we, we make such an amazing team. And we all have very similar skills. And skills that you have to have in a startup is really everything. You know, you need to be one day. You have to be a little bit of a salesperson, then a relationship manager, then a designer, uh, like in our case. So the the advantage of our team is that everybody is is kind of this rounded person that can jump and pick up different pieces depending on priorities. And that's how I wanted to set myself up from the beginning, uh, which was um, actually, I'm lying here. So the beginning was a year of really pushing back on having any employee and only a year into it after i completely ran out of energy i started hiring people but then i've seen the light and, and i am not looking back since so, so the 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 setup is 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 quite good because we are all very responsible and just action driven people uh so we can all pick up different pieces well, what is interesting is uh, that you have to completely set up all of the processes, you know, kind of the admin, the everyday work, which takes a long time. And, um, and officially, you know, I'm I'm going to have my third uh, birthday very soon as a limited company, uh, but really on the AES since I've left. And I don't actually feel that we are yet in that perfect place where all of our, uh, systems are set up so or maybe this is just my personality where i always like to find the better the more efficient way of doing things uh, so i don't feel that we are in that place where i'm like it's you know it, it's 100 efficient efficiency. So we can still get uh get somewhere else uh, so so i constantly go you know i go online i listen to people i look for recommendations i speak to others that have already set themselves up uh, and and yeah it's every day is is a little bit of tweak into how we do things. So but I I I think one of the biggest challenges coming back to your questions uh, Mm -hmm. in every business uh, is is maintaining of the pipeline and kind of pipeline versus delivery. Uh, Because what I find really interesting and that's probably where this uh, kind of uncertainty comes from Is that we end, you know, we, we do a big push on, on sales or we, we go to some networking event, which is really excellent. We come back and we have so much to deliver. And then you need to have the team in place and everybody jumping on the projects and being really excited. And then also you have to manage what happens during that time when you're so busy delivering, you Mm -hmm. have to crave some time to actually continue looking for pipeline for later which I think was a big lesson initially because I left and I, I had full pipeline and we just went into this delivery mode like, you know, like there's no tomorrow. But then um, then, then the moment came when the pipeline, when we fin- were finishing delivery and then we had to really focus all the resources on finding new deals. So just this kind of roller coaster. I don't know mm-hmm. if there is a better way to describe <laughs> it, but it's... It's completely yeah. emotional and also operational roller coaster of we either have too many uh, deals, too little people, too many people, too little deals. There is never yeah. a balance, and, and, I, and I really don't know how to, if you know how to how to find it because I think it's just a challenge that every business has.
1: Well, you know, I'm nodding away as you're talking <laughs> and feast and famine, the seesaw. Yeah. You know, the roller coaster, as you describe, it, 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 they're all yeah. you know, metaphors to exactly. And, and by the way, this is the same in, in pretty much every business and especially yeah. in every smaller business, startup business. You know, there's the, the pipeline, as you say, which is all about finding new business or in property cases, often finding new projects. Um, and then there's the delivery mode, which is executing. And often you find there's an imbalance and you can't seem to get perfection. I remember actually a few years ago when I, I stepped out of, I've done this more than once, by the way, stepped out of full time employment. I have form and um, about I <laughs> can't remember when it was now. It was a long time ago. I, um, I was working for a large corporate and I, I stepped out and essentially um, I wanted to start my own business back then. It was just I had it in my blood. And the employer I had didn't really want me to leave. So they said, well, what do you want? I said, well, I want to run my own business essentially. So, I said, well, why don't we, why don't we help you? Um, we'll retain you on a contract basis. For, I think three or four days a week. And then you just go and find your own business and, you know, build it up and, you know, we'll review things after a period of time. I thought, that sounds great. It turns into four days a week, um, you know, just billing the client and running around and doing stuff. And, basically putting my feet up the other day because i was um i was knackered and i was also mm. i was just you know I was, I was um the money was coming in and i didn't feel any pressure and then of course you mm. can probably predict what happened um uh, there was a change at the top the my sponsor who was essentially retaining me uh, got rotated new guy didn't really fancy this sort of contract idea and terminated it with immediate effect so <laughs> 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 i was like Where did that come from? So um, that was, you know, so I went from like, you know, four days billing and running around and one day feet up to basically having to find work really, really quickly. So that's an exaggerated version of what you just said. But, you know, it hasn't changed, frankly. Uh, There's always this tension. And uh, I you obviously you're talking to a lot of developers as well. I mean, are you able to sort of see how that works in, in sort of the, within the property sector itself and for developers. Can you see that in action when you're looking into other businesses, Carolina?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's what you've mentioned is, is the issue of um, of diversification of your pipeline. <laughs> if you only have one client, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's when he leaves, uh, that's the end. Uh, and um, actually the way we are setting ourselves up is we do want to work with a very small amount of clients that have continuous pipeline, because that's easier for us once we set up a relationship they know exactly what they're getting Uh, you know it's easier for us to to develop to, to develop um this sort of business um what's in what's interesting is um we we actually are working with probably five or six clients who have a constant flow of, of proposals and, and they, the developers, as developers, they get themselves in a very similar place, but it's quite a, it's even more challenging for them to be honest, uh, because uh, a deal negotiation on a particular site might, t- might take 12 months. Uh, so so the, the kind of um, the closing of the deal is much longer for them than it is for me. Uh, so, they need to find many more opportunities uh, to fill up their pipeline. And it's interesting because, um, actually, I think that, you know, in development, you make money when you buy. So, you have to really focus all of your energy as a developer on the purchase process. Uh, and the guys that we're working with are are focused on that, and they understand that so when they, and when they get the site, they vote it at the right pr- price, and they just want to pass it on to a trusted team of professionals of contractors uh, of all of the uh, you know, um, specialists that will deliver it so that they don't have a headache that don 't have issues, you know they, they have almost like insurance that all of these people um, their advisors. Come into the deal and will deliver while they are still focusing on finding new pipeline. Um, so, so I, I truly believe that uh, you know that a, num- a smaller uh, smaller number of clients that are so focused on just finding new new projects, getting planning, you know, moving uh, moving that pipeline forward uh, is is where where we where we should focus and also how we best serve them.
3: That's really interesting, Carolina. Thanks uh, for running through that with us. And yes, yeah, some real classic uh, small business issues right there, as Richard yeah. said. Uh, but how about uh, your greatest success so far? It'd be really <laughs> interesting to hear more about that.
2: Greatest success? I mean, I, I do consider living work uh, as quite a success. Um, uh, because it's, it's, you know, just uh, cutting that tie. Um, a uh, greatest success, definitely having the most amazing clients that shout about us, uh, on every occasion. Uh, you know, we're at uh, the top, uh, rated professional on trusted land directory. So it's like a directory for, um, for developers where they can, um, uh, recommend a professional, uh, in the, in the property development space. Uh, We have most um, recommendations over there. Um, it's, it's just, I think it's all, the business is all about people. And, um, Mm -hmm. the reason why I stepped out of commercial, uh, of the, of the big corporate world was because I couldn't quite see the impact of what I'm doing. Uh, while, you know, I might have been making, Uh, maybe a larger impact uh, on clients that I didn't know personally working for a large organization. I really do enjoy seeing those small uh, SME businesses grow with us. Um, So for me, the biggest achievement is really having a team that's so dedicated and so on the point of helping unlock uh, development value for those small sites, small, small developers. And then helping the small developers to really position themselves from marketing perspective, from product perspective as much larger clients and, and, and through that grow. Um, so we do all the different things, not only uh, branding and marketing for the site. Uh, and also everything that goes with the unlocking potential of the site like um looking at the layouts can you add a couple of bedrooms to the site uh, how how attractive is your specification your interior design your show home um are you not uh, losing out on your tender um with the contractor is there are you comparing apples with apples when you're getting to contractor quotes so from that perspective is kind of a delivery and a process that we help with but also the other perspective when we help them with marketing of their brand on either social media or helping them um create new branding or new website for for their actual brand where they can position themselves as a uh, in much more professional professional looking company so, so all of that is, you know, it's a huge achievement for for me. It feels like an achievement that I can help other businesses grow, and not not only I'm not only focused on my little uh, world and my and my business.
3: I think, Richard, um, you'll agree with me that that's a quite a common theme in through talking to our guests <laughs> on this series about how, um, you know, particularly the property business is all about people. Yes. And many of our guests have have had a drive to to create a, a visible impact on on people and and you know to help people in in a in a tangible way that's not always quite so uh, immediately visible when you're working in corporate life. Yeah,
2: and I think what's interesting is that actually when you go to all of the networking meetings and you know you start with the most common ones out there. Uh, and then you maybe find the few that you like the most the whole community has the same mantra which is helping each other which is learning from each other which is we're not competitors we are you know partners and you will always find someone who wants to help you for nothing and who will uh, you know give you tips and and we don't consider we could consider ourselves a As partners and one developer might think I'm not going to tell the other developer what I know. But I think Mm -hmm. just the way it's set up and everybody's uh, signing up to the same uh, collaborative uh, mentality. Mm -hmm. I I really love that. Uh, And, and, you know, and it's so spot on my values as well.
1: Well, um, that's an interesting word you just mentioned. We'll come back to that. But, mm-hmm. Karen, I was just thinking to myself that, um, and and you kind of cue me up, Helen, with your point as well, that um, we we look beyond that. Once we look beyond ourselves, something magical happens. I think, um, mm-hmm. and you know, you've just said that in the community, people are so generous and helping, uh, don't see themselves as competitors. I would actually say that that is is not directly human nature. <laughs> Let's just say that. And so I think people who have stepped out automatically have that view which is, you know, bigger than themselves. So you talk about having people and making a difference to people. You talk about looking beyond just your business and having an impact on your client's business. That's kind of what I mean, um, that you're looking beyond yourself and your immediate, you know, personal self and also your own personal business. And you, you it sounds to me you found a community of like-minded souls uh, who see it the same way, but it isn't necessarily um, typical of society at large. I think so. I think property communities do tend to bring that out in people, and um, yeah. and I think you know it's good to have that. And I know you spend a lot of time networking, so uh, you you must be speaking to lots of people uh, like that. Maybe we'll come back to the issue. There's a lot of things you talked about, social media and networking. Maybe you'd like to come back to, but mm-hmm. the key word you said there was values. And, um, you know, I think what, what we like to talk about is what are the principles and values that I guess have, and, you know, whether there's any of them which are unmovable or the same, some that have changed over time. Perhaps you didn't like us a little bit around that. You, is that a little chuckle there?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can move values or change them. Uh, I'm not uh, so sure. Uh,
3: um,
2: uh-huh. But the, the older I get, the more I, I'm trying, I'm understanding what mine are. I don't, I'm not sure if I can if I can actually be so quick to list them. Uh, integrity, um, some sort of spirit of one team. Um, being quite, I'm quite honest and direct, which is uh, you know all of my clients will will confirm that, and um, it's a bit of a standing joke in the office when uh, people come to interview uh, that they do need to prepare <laughs> for quite direct questions. Um, yeah, I don't know, I think that those are quite quite important to me. I don't, I don't, I never want to be on my own, so I think I just like building community around me and around my business and I treat clients as a part of our team and that's how I want them to treat us. Um, so yeah, it's all about... Um, all about building a community whilst kind of believing in the old school um, integrity principles.
1: Yeah, I think um, that you you are probably right. You don't change your values, and you certainly don't change them quickly. They just are.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I was having a conversation the other day. We we do. I don't know if you've ever done sort of wealth dynamics or talent dynamics um, type of. Uh, yeah. You have. Okay. So um, I'm doing I'm doing some of that with some of the apprentices and mentees that I'm working with at the moment, and we have a good old chuckle. Um, and we, but one of the conversations that inevitably comes out is one of values and. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, they are, you know, largely immovable. Some people don't really know what they are. There's a couple of exercises that you can work through if anybody's interested Can share that. But there's also the, we got into the dark side of values. So right. honesty, for example, that you mentioned and I share, um, there's a flip side to being honest, <laughs> which mm-hmm. can get you in trouble is where I'm going. You know, so... um <laughs> That's what I mean. It's not like, oh, you know, what is, where's he going with this? But you, you just are who you are, but sometimes yeah. there, are, there are consequences of that. And, but that's all good. It just goes with it. Um, so I'm really, I, was, I don't know if you've got anything that you could share later yeah. the dark side of values where perhaps you've, 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 you've even suffered because of the values that you hold.
2: Well, I think, uh, you suffer if you don't support, if you don't surround yourself with people that have the same values. Um, but Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if, if your value is honesty or delivery or doing your best work and, and, and you, and so do the people that you work with, then, you know, if you're honest to someone who has the same value, they will appreciate it. Um, so I think it's only when you're forcing it and like, you know you're going for a client even though you might not quite be on the same page it doesn't feel right or if you are if you aren't aligned from the values perspective then there there could be a a downside to it or you know a little bit of a imbalance or disalignment however you call it but i think if you if you are on the same page and you know, I've had a business partner before, I have some clients who are so direct with me. You know, even even with my directness, it's, it's a little bit much. But, um, but I, I really appreciate it because it helps me, it helps me improve myself. If someone, I'd rather them tell me that, uh, you know, they want something done in a different way or they want me to amend the design because they'd rather to have more color there. Then, then, them suffer and not being quite happy with it. Uh, so I think everybody benefits if you if you are on the same page and you are happy to to say exactly what you think.
3: Mm. Mm, absolutely. I think um, it might be a, a good idea at this point to talk to you a bit more, Carolina, about um, perhaps the state of the market. So obviously, you supply um, developers. Mm -hmm. Um, and perhaps uh, insights into uh, any future trends you might have spotted, whether within property development or within um, interior design and and property styling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the market at the moment, especially uh, with our schemes, which
2: are uh, probably closer to London, is not that encouraging. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the uh, end of the Brexit saga so Absolutely. that there could be just a little bit of uh, nor- normality back in the market. But um I think for, and it's an interesting time, especially for us, because we are all about differentiating our developers in the market and mm-hmm. creating a product that stands out, that really is better than competition. Which is so valuable in today's uh, world, uh, because while two, three, four years ago you might have had a product that uh, you know is not not good at all, but someone will buy it because the market goes up and there is panic and and you know there's uh, there was huge demand for, for 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 it. At the moment when when the demand is a little bit smaller and there is uh, still quite large supply Uh, it's all about how you position yourself you know how you sell that dream how you sell the lifestyle uh, how much better is the property that you're creating so while while it is not an ideal case scenario for my clients and i don't wish that it uh, continues uh, like it is at the moment um we i, I believe that uh, what we are doing is helping them get through the the tough time
1: Yeah, and I think um, it may be an appropriate time to, to, to dive in because one of the things that I found really compelling uh, when I, I first spoke to you, Carolina, and obviously you know since of being monitoring, and um, we've talked about blog posts, for example, haven't we? But um, yeah. was this idea of combining design, you know, which is fundamentally your your service. But you talk very much about the sort of um, the the business the business case, you know, in terms of return on investment or payback or Correct. anything. And and these two things marry together. I mean, to be honest, they really get me excited. So um, <laughs> I'm I'm not sure if I'm normal <laughs> to get excited about those things. But um, I just wanted to dive into that a sec because you do very much, you know, marry the two worlds of design and kind of the, the harder business case. Just. Chat about that a sec, and how you maybe are leveraging that in this current climate.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I'm not sure if there is many um, design studios that have the same um, mindset and methodology as we do, and it comes purely from me being that in that space. Uh, you know, having the bridging loans and being on the side of developers and making mistakes and really learning, on my own example, how, how not to do it or what's the best way to do it. Um, and then deciding that I, I really love the design part, so I, I am just going to do that uh, with other people. Um, so when it, where it all comes from is, how, is we're constantly adding more tools into our toolkit to really unlock the potential of the scheme. And we're typically working on schemes that are, uh, you know, nine units. This kind of uh, seems to be the best size for us uh, in the London market. Um, And um, and we start with uh, looking at uh, how you how your flats are laid out. Are they attractive? You know, are they are you maximizing uh, the opportunity? Can you add somewhere an additional bedroom? Uh, or can you add additional units sometimes and and we've had uh, some amazing examples even this year uh, for we just added 150k uh, of value into a scheme in Acton Uh we're having another scheme um, at the moment under negotiation in Weston where there might be opportunity to add many extra bedrooms and um, so from that perspective you know it's there is a huge advantage of thinking more about, uh, about the, the floor space than what your planning permission says. Uh, and I, what I see is many developers uh, are going into uh, development on the basis of the planning that they purchased, they got the site with planning, um, but um, they, they rarely, you know, they might not think that there is extra opportunity to, to add a couple of hundred grants in that scheme, just by tweaking the layout slightly. Um, so, from that perspective uh, you know i love i love, I love um, merging the design part, which is the interior design part of how you space plan uh, the development with uh, opportunity to add an incremental value in the sales process but that's just one of five of steps where we follow the our uh, scientific methodology for selling apartments uh, the second one is your branding, your your strategy for uh, publishing the scheme, look for uh, when it's um, when it's sold off plan, or you have opportunity to start marketing it, let's say three months before it's finished, so that you line up your leads and your your buyers. How you position it on your hoarding, in your brochure, uh, on your microsite, you know, on social media. Um, it it has to link to the to the product that you're creating it has to appeal to the buyers uh, and it really has to i mean through through marketing and branding uh, you can create a much more expensive looking product and and really you know we purchase so many items based on branding alone if you might buy a BMW and another car that is produced in the same factory and you pay more for the branded car you know for the brand that has higher perception of value, or, or it's the same for clothes, they're producing the same factory somewhere in China, uh, but you pay for one, uh, one shirt uh, double the price. Uh, so so uh, what we do in the second step of our methodology is we create the perception of luxury and we sell the lifestyle, uh, which is aligned with the interiors and the rest of the building that we produce in the next step. So so here you add add value with perception uh, and then in the next steps you do your interior design, your um, specification where we are able to, to save uh, a lot of money uh, through utilizing large suppliers uh, in our supply chain uh, guys that work with Taylor Wimpies etc. Uh, but because we have many small schemes we can actually package them and get the same discounts through the studio. Um, and then, and then also helping in the tendering process because of, often developers go into the scheme and they're not quite sure what they're going to get out at the end because they haven't created a uh, rock solid specification at the beginning that was uh, attached to the quote and the, the contract for the, of the contractor. Um, I, I really believe that you as a, as a developer, you have to control your product. Because ultimately you are uh, exposed at the at the very end. Contractor gets paid. You know he walks away. He makes money uh, on the on the build. He makes money maybe on purchasing because if you haven't specified what sort of kitchen or bathroom or communal area you want, he's gonna get the pieces that uh, that make sense for him. You know that where he can add extra margin to his uh, to his uh, prof- profit um but but he gets paid uh, and you are there exposed at the end with a product that might not be the most attractive in the market not the most sellable you might you know start rocking up financing costs so we're really there in the process from the beginning till the end to ev- to ensure and insure uh, you from, uh, from all the mistakes and, and exposure. So that's the, that's the logical and kind of more num, number based, um, approach to how you can do development, but still with the design, uh, methodology and the idea of creating really amazing product from the design perspective, but just merging the two together.
3: That's so interesting, Caroline. I can talk about
2: it for hours. I'm so sorry that I'm boring <laughs> everyone. Because this is like, no. I, you know, I, I normally give this presentation for an hour about all the things you can do with the show home. You know, we have examples of adding 20% to asking price with the show home. It's every single step. You can add so much value, but, but you do need to think about it up front.
3: I think people sometimes forget Um, that that um, interior design is is about so much more than just that that creative input and and perhaps you know smaller developers aren't necessarily considering that getting a designer involved from the outset with the specification um, etc can can you know really add to the bottom line Um, but moving on from that Carolina, because I I suspect that Richard might want to ask you something about marketing uh, later. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you got any advice? What are your top tips for people Mm -hmm. and perhaps women in particular who are either starting their journey into property or or, or maybe in the early stages of that journey? What what are your top tips?
2: For women in particular I have many tips I think that I, you know, I think that myself, uh, including, we just have to get out of our heads and just go and do it. Just, just go on and do it, and and we just get stuck um, preparing everything. And and there, I've had so many false starts when I'm, you know, I'm 90% ready, and this brand is ready, and I worked on the website. For months and mm. and and then at the at the last even five five percent you know the last five percent I just don't have that uh, I I would just lose I don't know self, some sort of self esteem or believe in myself I don't know how to call it but I think we we just we prepare so much for this and mm. then and then it's just one someone says something or you know you you ask for an opinion and and the doubt creeps in and we don't go for it. And I'm really so keen to um, where I'm discussing this right now with a friend of mine, Claire Norwood, to, to do some sort of, you know, I don't, I don't know, some sort of uh, woman challenge <laughs> yeah. uh, where, where, we are, where we actually help you overcome and maybe just hold your hand through the last five percent. Uh, because, mm-hmm. because I've just seen it so many times, you know, I've wanted to have my business for forever and my parents work in their own business and, and it's just really appealed to me to have this flexibility of work. But it, mm-hmm. I, honestly, I, I just, I probably more than 10 times where I got to the finish line and, and I was ready to launch it, but it just, just lacked this little bit of, of belief in myself. Yeah,
1: ladies, well, if you're listening, that. just go for it. Believe in yourself. Well, I'm sitting here thinking. <laughs> I, I always talk about the eighty twenty rule, not the ninety five five rule. So, eighty um, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm percent you know, is good enough. Launch, and you know, if you've read the Lean Startup, for example, and the concept yes. of the minimum viable product, it, it's all in that in that kind of thinking. It's basically get something that you get tested. And get feedback on yeah. and then you get into a loop and but it, I can understand exactly what you're saying so I think women in particular do tend perhaps to want it to be just right but it's not just women clearly mm. you know anyone with a, an, a degree of perfectionism about them will be nodding along going absolutely yeah. I'm not putting that out there until I know every dot is uh, every I is dotted and T is crossed um, yeah. so I think yeah if you, from you think, experience, yes yeah
2: I mean, from experience, you'll have the same experience, but it's the moment you actually go out there, three months later, you change your proposition, you change your delivery, you change the website, you change the logo. Three months later, again, you change the people around you, you change the delivery, it's constantly evolving. There is no Mm. perfect, um, It's uh, as much as I'm a perfectionist, and it's, it's very hard for me to say it, but there is no optimum until you've done Exactly minimum viable products you 've done tests you 've done you know uh, it 's so many times that you just see patterns of where where it where is that that spot that mm. service that um, you know that branding where where is that thing that works
3: mm. really
2: the, the the amount of prepar- whatever amount of preparation if you hadn 't had your business up front earlier. Um, or worked in a small business that kind of went through the same thing, the amount of preparation is, is really, you know, it's going to help you to start, but, but, but it's going to evolve, evolve, evolve.
1: Very good advice. I think um, just, just getting maybe, a, uh, I'm preparing to uh, reach, so how people can reach out to you is maybe something we'll ask you in a second, but perhaps as a precursor to that, and Helen did remind me, I, I perhaps you said earlier about you're very active on social media, and I also know you're very active in the networking community. And that made me think a little bit about, you know, external communication, relationship building um, and, and, and all of that good stuff. Perhaps as a precursor to maybe how people can reach you or find you on the circuit, um, could you just sort of dive, dive into that a little bit and then and maybe just give some uh, contact details? That would be, that'd be ideal. Yeah, I
2: mean, easiest thing is probably to add me on LinkedIn. And just with a small note uh, of uh, I've listened to this webinar would be great to connect. Um, uh, I'm also available on Instagram um, and and everywhere. Uh, I'm under my own name and also under Adam Sheik Brand, uh, which uh, I, either I manage or someone in the office. So uh, however you try to contact me through a uh, public uh, Facebook page, through LinkedIn, through Instagram, uh, you know, I'm I'm very happy to to have a chat.
1: Yeah, and I think it was it was more a case that you were you said you were very active on social media, and that's how you f- found your first client. I think you said. So... Yeah,
2: I mean, social media is a love and hate relationship for me. <laughs> <laughs> for all of us don't <laughs> you worry. For Everyone. <laughs> yeah. For everyone, honestly, uh, I just I get I get into the zone, and I want to publish something, and I maybe do it for two weeks, and then I just. I fall, fall out of love uh, with it again uh, so um, I'm always available i'm checking it every day I'm probably not producing contact uh, content every day as i as I should um, but yeah but um, uh, I definitely recommend it for personal brand building um not sure how much uh, of of brand building uh, it actually helps with uh, because I think most of the 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 deals come through me or someone in the team because business is people dealing with people and I I truly believe that Um, Mm -hmm. so um, because we're not Coca-Cola and we're not Lloyds Bank, we're not a a brand who has uh, unlimited marketing resources and and huge reach, Uh, I think it's ultimately uh, uh, how how deals come through, through to Ademshik is through me and people hearing about our methodology and understanding case studies and wanting to get the same uplift for themselves.
1: Yeah I thought that and you know you, I do see that you're quite prolific certainly on the networking circuit um, and mm-hmm. you know, um, sneaking off little sidebar drinkies the other day I saw that posted on LinkedIn I think if I'm right. It's, uh,
3: <laughs> yes,
2: that's,
1: where, that's where the real business is done. Uh, but I think it, yeah uh, there is something um, in
2: uh, and sonic
1: <laughs> June and sonic yeah I saw it was a big, big thing <laughs> but um the it is about putting yourself out there and i think a lot of people and perhaps you know some women you know some women might feel that they can't do that so um you know I, i'm pleased to hear that you have been putting yourself out there social media networking etc and it, you're right it is a people business and um it clearly has um, has paid off for you so uh, kind of drawing some cl- some conclusions, really, and drawing to a close. I think it's been it's been great to hear your journey and your story, and how we didn't really get into it a lot. But you're, you're essentially as, you know operating as a service provider into property, having diverted a little bit away from going all in as a property developer and investor yourself. And I think that's just an important takeaway here: is you can find your own path, um, you know, in in this place. And if you have a, a particular passion or skill set, which can be aligned to property investors and developers, then that, 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 can work too. And, you know, you can create a business which creates an income stream and a value in itself. And sure, perhaps you can divert some of that uh, money into assets such as property along the way if you so choose. So that was something that really struck me when we first spoke. And I, I kind of wanted to get you involved in this series and people might be thinking, you know, well, where does this, how does this relate to me? And I think it could be that, well, there's many ways to skin the proverbial cat. And, and you're, and you're sort of highlighting one of those and how you managed to carve out your path from bank, banking into interior design aligned to the property, you know, development and and, uh, investment industry. So congratulations to you. Um, and your upcoming three year birthday. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today, Carolina. And, um, perhaps I'll leave any final words to, to Helen to wrap up.
3: Thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast, Carolina. And you've shared so many nuggets of information that are useful for, for any small business person, um, but obviously particularly for people in property. And there are lots of um, ideas to to go away and think about. Uh, so thanks so much again for coming on the show. Thank you both.
1: You're welcome. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
3: Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.
1: So wasn't that interesting? I'm just going to pick up some of the, some of the key points, I guess, uh, quite briefly, hopefully. Um, after that, uh, Carolina had an international career in banking, um, and she loves business development, but also interior design. And she especially loves transforming uh, spaces. So she managed to turn a hobby into a full-time job, as you heard. Um, she did actually start out with some of her own investments, as you might have picked up, but it didn't go 100% according to plan. However, she developed a large social media following, And merely showing what she was doing, particularly with the design element, and indeed sharing her knowledge, led to her winning her first client. And so she was able to gradually migrate to part-time of work, which helped with the transition to go eventually full-time, once she had the courage to completely exit from the job. And that's another uh, recurring theme in this series, isn't it? And she turned this passion into a business. And she discovered there's lots to learn about business, so the slow transition was in fact quite helpful. But she did actually underestimate what it would feel like uncertainty coming from the emotional state of people relying on her for work and indeed for pay. It is a big responsibility, and she wasn't expecting that, so it would be wise, obviously, to try and prepare ourselves for that. And she went on to say even after a year of being a limited company, which I think is about three years into her business. It still feels like it's not yet uh, 100% efficient. So she's still learning and growing uh, from other people to apply into her own business. We talked a bit about this uh, balancing act, or she called it a roller coaster between pipeline development and project delivery. Uh, it is a balancing act, and whichever you know, business you're in, property or related to property, yes, feast and famine, the roller coaster, I'm sure you can relate. So she talked about having diversification being crucial. Not relying on just one income source. And I'm sure we can all n- take note of that. There was another common theme, uh, which Carolina uh, pointed out, really, or, or we detected from what Carolina said that has come out through the series, which is it's all about people and making a visible impact that goes beyond just delivering the project. And this, of course, is quite different, perhaps, and certainly Carolina found this, and I've certainly found that, to maybe working in corporate life, we don't necessarily see the full impact of your actions. Let's say. I really enjoyed the bit about principles and values that we spoke about and she rattled them off. She said she probably couldn't then she went into integrity, spirit of one team, honest and direct, which I think people seem to think is quite humorous, uh, judging by the way she uh, referenced that, and trying to build a community and a team both within her business and indeed outside of it. And she went on to say, if you don't surround yourself with people with the same values, then you can suffer. And people appreciate your values if they share them. And if not, there could be some imbalance or misalignment. I thought that was a good takeaway. There was a bit of talk, obviously, about the current state of the market and you know the Brexit saga, but what she said, it was helpful to create a product that stands out from the competition. And this works particularly well in the current climate where demand is lower. And I just kind of wanted to get back to, because I've spoken to Carolina before we had the uh, podcast interview. And it's really unusual for a design studio to have the same mindset as they do. Uh, as Carolina's does, actually, where they marry up the design element with the numbers element. And it's all about merging design with the financial elements, as she went on to say. And in terms of tips and advice, uh, she said for women in particular, to get out of your own heads, or we must get out of our own heads, as she put it, and just go and do it. (laughs) Don't get stuck in the preparation. It will never be perfect. So just go with imperfection. Don't have any doubts and just step out. Go for it and believe in yourself. They're her words, not mine. And um, you, you will change things as you go anyway, as it's a constantly evolving uh, business out there. So just get out, market test, get feedback, and evolve, 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 as she went to say, like to say. So um, by all means, reach out to Carolina. I've connected with her on LinkedIn. There's a connection, uh, a link rather, in the show notes if you want to go and reach out to her there. As she mentioned, you can find her on Instagram or Facebook, both in her own name and in the company name. So look her up. Uh, If you can't find her, drop us an email. I'm sure we could put you in touch. Uh, She did talk about having a love-hate relationship with social media, but uh, it's a necessary thing, and after all, it did help her find her first client, so there you go. But I think the summary piece, really, from all of this is that you can find your own path in this sector. It doesn't have to be as an investor or as a developer, and as Carolina herself said, her projects didn't actually go swimmingly well, but she's carved out a niche for herself in an area that she really enjoys, and she's a service provider uh, providing services, design services to developers, and it sounds like the people that she's working with, her, uh, sorry, working with, uh, really like the, like her and her business. So you can create an income stream related to property that doesn't have to be directly as a property investor and developer. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway of all here. But there we go. That's it for this week. Uh, if you want to talk about anything from today's show or just about property investing more generally, you know, you can invoice <laughs> invoice me. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't invoice me. Email me. Uh, or indeed Helen, in fact, if you're going to invoice, invoice Helen, a uh, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, uh, I'd be more than happy to hear from you. Uh, the show notes can be found over the website, thepropertyvoice.net as well. But I guess all that's left to say uh, is thank you very much for listening again this, t- this time. And until next time on The Property Voice Podcast, it's is time.